It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. If you have your Bibles, Psalm 139 is where we're going to be this morning. Psalm 139. <clears throat> uh, again, we've been walking through just this series called Soul Drift, and we're kind of coming up to a conclusion, uh, which is kind of a bittersweet uh, thing. I was actually talking to Sam this morning, and he's like, are you excited that it's almost done? And I'm like, well, no. I think there's, Eric and I mentioned before, when we come to an end of a series, it's like there's this, it's like you're losing a friend. You know, it's like if you ever had one of those good series of books where it's like, you know, you're, you're getting, you're so invested in the characters, and then the series ends, and you're like, well, why doesn't the author write more books? Like, my, where's my friend, you know? Uh, so there is that reality <clears throat> when it comes to these series. Uh, but I was also kind of telling Sam how the whole reason I wanted to even get into this topic, I actually haven't had time to study. And so there's like this whole other realm that I've been wanting to get into. I just haven't had time. So maybe someday in the future uh, when I actually have time to study it out. Uh, but this has just been a delightful process in my own soul uh, as we've been talking about what does it mean to drift away. And we'll kind of put a bow tie on it next time. Uh, but I want to give one more concept just as we've been fleshing this idea out. <clears throat> and I just want to do a quick review. And again, I did this last time as well, but just so it's fresh in, in all of our minds. Uh, we have a calling on our life. And that calling is that we are to love God with everything. That it's not a partial love. It's not a piecemeal kind of love. It's not a love on Sundays and do whatever you want the rest of the week. That the life that you and I are called to live is to passionately, overwhelmingly love God with everything. And so <clears throat> I read the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6 passage last time, but I just want to give you the summary statement. In other words, if you're to take Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, uh, here, here's my summary of that passage, what Moses is saying. When you put the, the heart, the soul, the might stuff together, you could say it this way. You shall love God with all that you are and all that you have. And when you really get into this idea that you're to love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your might, that is what he's is saying. That the totality of your being, so the inward stuff, the outward stuff, the physical, the non-physical, the everything that you are, but then also everything that you have, your talent, your time, your wisdom, your money, everything that you have belongs to him. And I am to love him and seek after him and delight in him with all that I am and all that I have. But as we've been talking through this series, we have a very significant problem. And that problem, biblically, is often defined as idolatry or adultery. And the way that we've at least been defining this idea of idolatry is looking to anyone or anything besides Jesus to meet my needs. So anytime I turn my gaze, anytime I'm looking for something to satisfy or meet a need or to do something in my life, and it becomes the primary or the focus or the centrality of my life, rather than Jesus, that's called idolatry or adultery. So looking at all of that, <clears throat> we have a very significant need. And if I can just summarize it, here's, here's how I'm going to summarize this. Our need is that we need a revelation from God of our problem. Because I don't know about you, but I can look at my life and be like, yeah, I'm doing fine. And it's so easy to, to look and gloss over the fact of like, well, yeah, I don't think it's, it's not that bad compared to the culture by all means. 
And in fact, I feel like I'm doing far better than even the church culture. And yet that's not my standard. My standard is Christ himself. My standard is the word of God. And so what I really need is God to give a revelation and insight into the areas of my life that need to be transformed. Because so oftentimes I don't see them. If, if I saw the, the problems in my life, I would change them. And yet it's because I don't see them. It's like I need a greater work of the Holy Spirit in my life to say, <clears throat> Nathan, you see, you see that? Can I have that? Can I have that attitude? Can I have that motive? Can I have that action? Can I have that thought process? Can I, can I just take your life and start changing you? So what we absolutely need in this idea of if we are going to truly love our, our God with everything that we are and all that we have, then we must allow him to search and try our hearts to see if there's anything in our lives that need to change. Because so oftentimes, I feel like we are blinded to that reality. So what I want to do is I want to read Psalm 139, uh, verses 23 through 24. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to follow along. This is such an incredible passage, and I think it's just a great statement of our desire or our need for what God should do or needs to do uh, in our life. So I want to read a variety of translations. And I've mentioned this before, but in Bible study, it's so helpful to read a variety of translations because you kind of see the different nuance of the original language. So obviously this is written in Hebrew, and I just want, I want you to hear, I, I don't think there's like six or seven of these, just what is being said by David in Psalm 139. So this is the New American Standard. <clears throat> David writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting, or the everlasting way. The ESV says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The New King James says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The NIV says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The New Living says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. The Amplified says, Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And the Net Bible says this, <clears throat> Examine me and probe my thoughts. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any idolatrous tendency in me and lead me in the reliable ancient path. Isn't that interesting? That as you're looking at this statement made by David, He's saying, God, would you come in and would you just examine and would you search and would you test and, and would you just see if there's any idolatrous, offensive, wicked, evil thing in my life and lead me down an everlasting way. Now, what I want to do really quick is in the four lines here in the Hebrew, I just want to give you a quick summary of each of these statements. So David starts off and he says this, search me. Hey, would you just come in and just analyze and search so here's the statement, Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That word search is interesting. It means to consider in detail, to explore, to search. So here's the invitation that we're giving God. God, would you come in and will you just 
Would you explore my life? Would you literally walk through my life with a, with a fine-tooth comb? Would you consider in detail and analyze and search my life? And then he makes this statement that you would know my heart. Uh, the word there, know, uh, is, is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word gnosko. In other words, it's not just know about, but intimately have this, uh, like get your hands dirty knowing, if I could maybe even say it that way. That, that I want you to be thoroughly acquainted with my heart. And the word heart there, as we looked at in the Shema, it doesn't just mean like your emotions, but it's your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, and your intentions. It's, the, it's all the inside stuff. So it's, it's like David's coming up to God saying, God, would you search, would you consider in detail, would you just explore the insides of my life? Will, will you get your hands dirty and become intimately acquainted with the realities and the depths of my being? And you realize we need God to do that in us. Because as Jeremiah 17, 9 says, our hearts are deceitful. Look at this. Jeremiah 17, 9. This is the Amplified. I, I like how they expanded and kind of gave some clarity to the Hebrew but Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is exceedingly perverse and corrupt and severely morally sick. Who can know it? Who can perceive, understand, be acquainted with his own heart and his own mind? In other words, we actually don't see the problems of our own hearts. We so easily justify the things in our lives, which is why we need God to come in and search and try our hearts. We, we need God to explore. We need him to point out. So what I want to do with each of these, these four lines, is I want to kind of give you a summary statement, or I want to give you a conclusion or a goal or a desire from that. So if we're desiring God to search us, oh, God, search me, what is the point of that? Like, what is the end goal of him searching our hearts? And if I can put some language to it, <clears throat> the purpose of the searching is that he would cleanse me, that, that he would purify me. Why, why do we want God to actually go through in detail of our hearts? Why do we want God to search our lives? Well, it's not just so that he can be like, that's a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem. And we're like, yay, I've got problems. Because we already know we have issues. Why, why, do, we, why do we need God to search our lives? It's so that he could actually cleanse me, so that he could purify all those things that he finds in me. So God, would you search me? Would you just examine my life? Would you, would you point out everything in my life that's wrong? But in so doing, would you change it? Would you transform it? Uh, the second thing that David says is try or, or test me. He says in Psalm 139, verse 23, he says, try me and know my anxious thoughts. That word to test or to try, get this, this is so interesting. It means to put to the test in order to ascertain the nature of something. In other words, you're testing, trying to figure out what it's made of, it inc uh, including its imperfections, its faults, and other qualities. It's to try and learn the genuineness of an object by examination and observing reaction to a standard. So here's a standard, and I'm testing it against the standard to see what it really is made of. And so here's David saying, Lord, will you test me? Will you take me against your standard? and see if there's anything that doesn't align up. Uh, this word is often used in the, the old idea uh, with testing like gold and silver. So I would take gold and silver and I would melt it down and I would see if there's any impurities that would come up out of it. So there'd be this trying season, there'd be this testing season of heat. And in the intensity of the heat, 
any of the dross, any of the impurities of the silver and gold would rise to the surface. That's what David's asking for. God, would, would you actually test me? See the genuineness of my life? God, God would you see, see where I am deviating from the standard of who you are? Would you put me in the heat of your furnace? And in so doing, would you allow the dross and the junk to come to the surface? It's like what Psalm 66.10 says, For you have tried us, that's our word, for you have tried us, O God, you have refined us as silver is refined. So test me, examine my life. And then he says, know my anxious thoughts. Would you become intimately acquainted, and that word anxious thoughts means my troubled, disquieting thoughts. In other words, Lord, would you, would you examine my soul and in so doing, would you, would you know, would you know what's, what's constantly on my mind? Would you know the concerns of my life? And so if you were to take all that, well, what is the point of him testing and knowing your anxious, disquieted thoughts? And if I could put language to it, I would, I'd say, well, Lord, could you consume me? Will you test me so that you could occupy and fill me up? Would you know what concerns my mind so that you actually become the reality and the focus of that? In other words, instead of allowing my mind to be consumed with the fear and the anxiety and the worry and, and all the distractions that my life is, is entertaining, Lord, would you occupy and would you fill up my mind? Would you consume my mind? Would you consume my life? Would you put me in, <clears throat> into the fire and, and remove the dross and, and remove all those blemishes and imperfections so that you, oh God, would consume me, so that you would fill and occupy me? The third thing that David says in the passage is, hey, would you see? Uh, he says in verse 24, see if there is any wicked way in me. Hey, would you just examine, would you analyze and look that word see is this idea of to point out. It's to see, it's to reveal, it's to understand. It's to figure out something after a calculation or an investigation. So here's David saying, Lord, would you investigate my life? Would you come in and examine? And I love how the New Living says this. The New Living in that verse says, point out anything in me that offends you. So would you analyze in any wickedness, any idolatrous behavior, any any?" Anything that's offensive to you, God, would you put your finger on? Would you investigate? Would you point that out? Well, why do we want God to put his finger on those kind of things? Well, so that he would change us. Change me, God. Would you point out any idolatrous acts? Would you point out any of this offensive, wicked stuff so that you would actually change me and that I would really come into a position of repentance and obedience to you and your word? Uh, when you look at David in Psalm 51, David gets confronted by a great prophet whose name's Nathan, which is why he's a great prophet. And uh, <laughs> it's a bad logic, but, uh, <clears throat> uh, but Nathan confronts David, and of course David is now in contrition, and he writes Psalm 51 as a repentance, a plea unto God. And listen to what David says. He says in the first couple of verses, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Do you realize that God used Nathan to point out the idolatrous 
wicked, offensive stuff in David's life. And it's not just so that God can put his finger on those things. The reason God convicts, the reason God will point out the issues of our hearts is so that we would actually come to him in repentance. It's so that we'd actually receive forgiveness. It's so that our lives would be transformed. It's so that we'd actually begin to walk the reality of his life in obedience. It's not just, he's not just interested in pointing out the junk. He's interested in changing our lives. He's interested, as I think I've said this before, this idea of he's willing to be born in a stable. That's an amazing reality. Because stables are not clean. They are full of muck. And yet he refuses to leave stables the way they are. And though he's willing to be born in a stable known as you, he wants to grow you up into a temple that is clean and pure without blemish or spot. That there is this sanctification process, and as such, if he points out the muck of the stable, the, the reason that he's pointing out, the reason he's bringing conviction, the reason that he's showing you the issues is so that we would come and repent. It is so that we would seek forgiveness. It is so that we would actually begin to walk in obedience and that we become Christ-like. It's so that we become more and more like him. So think about the amazing reality of this. If we come to God and say, God, would you search me? Would you point out anything that's offensive or idolatrous or wicked in my life? The reason we want him to do that is so that we would actually come in repentance. It's actually we desire a life of repentance. It's we desire a life of sanctification. We desire to walk in holiness and walk in obedience to him. So you hear David in Psalm 51, who's now been, all this stuff's been pointed out. And he's like, oh God, please, please forgive me. God, God, remove all this. Remove this transgression. Blot it out. Explode it. Just remove it. And a few verses later, he says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. See, our desire when God points things out is that we would come in a humble repentance, seek his forgiveness, and walk in obedience. And the fourth thing in the passage that David brings up in Psalm 139 is this idea to lead. He says in verse 24 again, and lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me down this path called everlasting. Lead me in an eternal way. That word lead, this is so interesting to me, means to lead, to conduct, to create an opportunity or to be in charge of. In other words, to be the authority of. So David is saying, God, would you lead my life? Would you be the authority of my life? Would you take charge? Would you give opportunity and really march me down a path called everlasting? That word everlasting, that eternal idea, ponder this. We're not talking about a physical path called everlasting. There's a sign that says everlasting way, that direction. Do you know what the path of everlasting is? Do you know what the way of everlasting is? It's Jesus. Do you realize that he is eternal life? That he is the everlasting one? And that he is the way? You look at John 17, 3, and, and Jesus says this is eternal life. That they might intimately know, experience you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Well, what is eternal life? Relationship. It's experiencing the reality of God himself. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Do you realize that he is that path, that way of everlasting, that he is that eternal everlasting way? So here is David, and again, it is pointing forward to the coming of Christ, but David is saying, Lord, would you lead me? Will you, would you give me opportunity? Would you take charge? Would I come under the authority, and would you march me down this everlasting way? So what, what's the end desire? What, what, what's the heartbeat behind this? Lord, would you command me? And that maybe sounds sharp, but the idea is, would you bring me under your authority? Lord, could, would you start governing my life? Would you be Lord and master of my life? What you say, I will say yes to. Will you command me? And just for clarity's sake, we're not talking about a command where it's impersonal. So, so oftentimes we hear command and we're thinking that, you know, that here's someone standing over there and they're giving us commands saying, you do that over there. That's not this idea. This idea, when I'm talking about commanding us, is an intimate relational form of command. It's a, Lord, can I come under your authority, and would you lead me, and would you guide me, and would you, in fact, here's the passage that Jesus gives in John 16. Oh, sorry, Matthew 28. Let me give you this one first. Uh, Jesus spoke in Matthew 28 and, saying, and said, all authority has been given to me. Do you realize he has all the authority? And so what is our heart? Lord, can I come under that authority? I will bid my knee. But listen to what John says, or Jesus says in John 16, 13. He's talking about giving the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've heard this recently as students. But it says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And I, I mentioned this last night to our students. But that word guide doesn't mean to direct. In the sense of like, you know, I can give directions to my house. So I turn down this road and turn over here, and then at that big building, turn over here. That's not this idea. This word in the Greek, gives the idea to grab you by the hand and lead you. Hey, watch out for that pothole. Oh, come over here. Oh, turn a little bit to the right. Oh, step one more over here. And it's, it's this intimate relational form of guiding. And that really is, this, is the heart in, this, in the passage in, in Psalm 139. That it's not this impersonal, God, would you lead me? It's not some impersonal, hey, God, can I come under your command and authority and governance? The heartbeat is, God, would you get so intimate in my life? God, can I, can I get so tight with you? Could you just grab me by the hand and would you march me into the reality and the truth of who you are? Would, would you keep me under in this posture of humility and would you lead me in this everlasting way, which is your life? Would you make me more and more like you? Will you just get me all wrapped up in the realities of who you are? That's the idea. So take all of that and let me give you a concept really quick. The heart behind one, Psalm 139, verse 23, 24, is this idea of, Lord, would you lay me bare before you and search everything? And in so doing, would you change everything? Anything that doesn't line up, change it. Now, there's a really popular passage that you know well. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And it's speaking of the Word of God, and it's, it's interesting when you look at the context <clears throat> the context of the Word of God actually, and this is going to sound weird because I grew up always hearing the Word of God is powerful, living and active, right? This kind of stuff. And we're talking about Scripture. And that is true. That is, that is the reality of the context. However, when you look at the context itself, it is talking about the Word of God in text. That's true. And, and this is living and active. Amen. Praise the Lord. But when you actually look at the immediate context, do you realize that it's not talking about a thing? It's not talking about a book. It's actually talking about a person whose name is the Word of God. 
Isn't this a weird thought? It's talking about Jesus. Let, let, me read you, let me read you this passage, Hebrews 4. For the Word of God, both in text and in person, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now listen to this. And there is no creature hidden from His sight. Speaking of the Word of God. So, even though it is true, it's speaking about a book, right? We call it Scripture, the Bible. And the Bible is living and active. The actual context of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is the hymn. No one is hidden from his sight. Why? He's, he's living and active. He's sharper than a double-edged sword. He pierces. He divides. Isn't this fascinating? You guys don't look impressed. I think that's amazing. So when you read Hebrews chapter 4, if I can encourage you, don't just think of it as Scripture. We're talking about the Word of God, both in text, yeah, that's still true, but also in person. So Jesus and His Word is living and active. Jesus and His Word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Jesus and His Word pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, of, of joints and marrow. And Jesus and His Word is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart search me god will you try me would you take me like into every crevice of my soul will, will you take your word and analyze my life and through your spirit would you just bring to mind anything that is not in alignment with you will you judge everything in my life would you would you bring all of this into subjection in jesus christ lord would you just analyze everything in my life and then he goes on and says this and there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Here's an interesting thought. When we allow the word of God, both in text and in person, to search and try our lives, do you know what it actually begins to do? It slices and dices you. It actually is, is like a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon who comes into your life and starts to cut away all the things in your life that doesn't belong, all that cancerous reality called sin, God is very faithful to put his finger on and say, can I remove that? Can I handle that? Can I, can I deal with this? And when he begins to do his work and the word of God begins to expose and, and the spirit of God in your life, right? The spirit of the word of God, the, 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 the Holy Spirit, the very nature of Jesus, as he is analyzing your life and as he's pointing things out, he's using his word to say, see that? That, that needs to change. And what it ends up doing is it causes all things to be open and laid bare, which actually just means made naked. Do you realize what the Word of God does? It strips you down. It actually causes you to stand before the Lord naked. Now, that's a little vulnerable. Uh, I, I have friends who will walk around their house like in boxers. And, and if you want to do that, whatever. Uh, my brother says that the reason he wears clothes is not for his benefit, it's for our benefit. And I say thank you, because <laughs> that is a benefit to me, because I don't want to see the other option. You know? But do you realize that when we, when we bring ourselves and submit ourselves to the Word of God, both in text and in person, it actually strips us down and makes us very vulnerable, because nothing is hidden. And it's like, you see that? Now, we, some people, I'm not this way, some people are very comfortable throwing their shirts off and walking around the house in boxer shorts. 
I get out of the shower and I don't look in the mirror. It's just easier on my eyes. <laughs> I, I don't like that vulnerability. And yet, do you realize that all of us should crave that spiritually before the Lord? Because the reality is, is as I come to the Word and as I come to His person, He begins to strip you down. And He says, see that? And that makes you very vulnerable. You are laid open and bare before the Lord. But that's actually a very good thing. Because it is as we are vulnerable, it is as we are laid open and bare, naked before the Lord, that it exposes anything that actually isn't right. It exposes anything in our life that doesn't measure up to the authority of, of Scripture. Well, why do we want that to happen? So that He changes us. And what's amazing is the writer of Hebrews talks about this idea that here's the Word of God in text and in person who is going to analyze and search and judge your life and everything is going to be laid open before Him. And then he comes into this idea that Jesus is our high priest. He is the solution. And he makes this concluding statement. Listen to this in verse 16. Therefore, because of all of this, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you realize that the only way that you can approach the throne of grace boldly is you need him. He's our high priest. But why am I boldly entering into the throne of grace? Well, so that I receive mercy and grace. But why do I need mercy and grace? It's because I've been stri stripped naked. It's because all things have been laid bare. And I realize how much I need Jesus. We've been walking through this whole series and looking at this idea that, that our calling is to love God with all that we are and all that we have. But we all have a problem. It's this fact that we are all distracted. We all have this propensity to, to have the allurement and the distraction and the noise of culture around us. And we are turning to all these things and all these people other than Jesus to satisfy and meet our needs. And most of the time, we don't even recognize it. And what we need is to come into a posture, a, a prayerful posture that just says, Lord, would you examine everything? Would you seek? Would you test would you put me in the furnace and allow the dross to come to the top? Would you, would you point out anything in my life that doesn't belong? Lord, would you so intimately know my life? Why? So that you could actually, as the writer of Hebrews says, so that you can test it. You can judge it. You can expose it. And as a, as a sword or as a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon, you could actually point out and remove any wickedness in my life. So Lord, would you lay me bare before you? Would you strip me naked and allow anything in my life that doesn't belong to be revealed so that I can find mercy and grace for my need? Well, where is that found? Jesus. And as we've talked over and over, our solution to our problem is Jesus. It's not more discipline. It's not more religion. It's not more to-dos. It's embracing the person. And allowing that word of God, Jesus, to radically, overwhelmingly change your life. Can I encourage all of us, like David did in Psalm 139, to have this prayer? Lord, will you search me? In other words, would you cleanse me and purify my heart? Purify my life? Lord, will you try and test me? This idea, would you consume me? Would you occupy and just fill me up? Lord, would you see, would you point out and change me and allow me to walk in this 
heart this lifestyle of repentance and obedience? God, would you lead me? Would you bring me under your authority and command me? Would you govern my life? This is the calling on our lives. We need Jesus. Would you allow God to search you? Would you allow God to freshly come in your life and put his finger on anything in your life where Jesus is not central, where he's not preeminent, where something or someone has actually taken the place of Jesus and something and someone other than Jesus is your priority and your focus and your delight. And God has given us so many good and and so many gracious gifts, but none of those things can take the primary position that he's supposed to hold. He and he alone is supposed to sit on the throne. Would we let him search us? Would we allow him to take his sword, his spirit and, and the word, and do anything in our life that's necessary to lay us bare, strip us down before him, and change anything and everything to conform us to the image of Christ? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we desperately need this. I desperately need this. Lord, Jeremiah says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And so oftentimes we don't even see the junk. We don't see the sin. We don't see the, the attitudes and the behaviors and the pride and the, just the life that we are living that is contrary to your word. Lord, would you search and cleanse? Would you try and consume? Would you see, point out and change? Would you lead and govern and command us? Lord, would you bring us to your word and confront us with the standard, test us against the perfect standard of your word and your life? Would you judge every thought? Would you judge every motive? Would you judge every word and action? And would you strip us down so that we realize we desperately need you? That when we are laid naked before you, we realize that we have nothing in and of ourselves except filthy rags to bring to you. And what we need is Jesus. So Lord, would you be the solution? Would you be the correction? Would you be that which changes and transforms our life? And as Paul has said over and over, that what we need and the solution of our life is you. So Lord, may we find mercy and grace, our help in our great time of need. And Lord, as Romans 8.29 says, would you conform us into the image of Christ. Because the reason you want to search and try, the reason we long for you to seek out, point out, and lead is not just so that we are acquainted with the junk. It's so that we become more and more like you. So Lord, we thank you that you are willing to be born in a stable known as us. But Lord, would you purify? Would you cleanse? Would you sanctify? Would you consecrate our lives so that we do, as Paul says, become a temple a holy vessel unto the Lord our God. So Lord, if there's an, any idolatry or any adultery, any distraction, any, anything in our life that we've made primary over you, Lord, would you deal with it? Would you change and transform anything and everything in our life? And Lord, we just say that we need you. And we just love the fact we're, we're so gracious, so grateful for your graciousness that you don't leave us alone. And so Lord, we just want to praise you. We just want to thank you for all that you're doing in these days. And 
we do just want to worship you, Jesus, for you are worthy. We just pray all this in your holy and precious and very powerful name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.